Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from Macomb, Illinois, and we have got a great show you. Uh, we have got a great show you. We got th- some things to show you, folks, but we also have a great show in which to do that. So today we're going to be talking to local foods educator Grant McCarty. But before we get to Grant, we have got to introduce our co-host with us every single week. We are joined by local foods educator Katie Parker in Adams County. Hey, Katie. Hey, Chris. How's vacation going? Uh, it's great. I just took my vacation hat off, my straw hat, my 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 ties over here out of frame so I don't get in trouble. Um, it's great. And the beach is outside just in my imagination. So how about <laughs> you? How are you doing? Things are going well. Uh, we're quite a bit warmer than we were last week, but hopefully we'll get some warm or some cool weather here soon. I know exactly. I looked at that extended outlook. I've been watering a lot. It's been very dry here. Uh, no rain, at least mm-hmm. in the Macomb area for a while still. Yeah, we have some pretty good cracks in our yard, so mm-hmm. have to do some rain dances after the podcast. Yeah, if this keeps up, folks, next week's podcast is going to be about watering plants. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and someone who I know is busy uh, watering lots of plants in his tropical oasis is horticulture educator Ken Johnson in Jacksonville. Hey, Ken. Hello. Yes, I, I watered our potted plants outside at lunch, so we'll probably get rain now. Thank you for doing that. Yes, it's <laughs> <me> later. <laughs> well, Ken, you are always the one to grow interesting and exciting things, and so we want to get an update. We talked about this earlier this year in the spring, two crops that you're growing that are a little bit different, uh, one being rice and, uh, you know, and other types of interesting varieties of sweet corn. Is that correct? So we did corn rice. Meal. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and um, glass gem corn. So it's more of an glass ornamental. You can also use it as popcorn um, as well. So right now, um, our rice is, some of it's blooming, some of it's done blooming. It's at the milk stage. I looked that up beforehand, so I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> um, it's kind of like with sweet corn. It's just kind of got a milky substance, and that kind of gets more starchy and hard over time. So hopefully, we'll have enough time before a frost to actually get <laughs> some rice off that. Well, we'll see, though. We may not get much rice. Um and then glass gem, uh, again, as an ornamental corn. Um, these are all kind of the same, same seeds. You get all kinds of different colors, uh, different shades of <clears throat> pink and red and orange and, and kind of purple and white. And there's some green kernels here and there. Um, so all kind of the same, this cultivar variety, whatever you want to call it. So you get kind of a wide variety there. So we picked that this weekend. Um, so we'll have some decorations and then well, last year um, we grew some too, and we just kind of shelled everything and and popped it, and it pops white and tastes like popcorn. So it's not necessarily the biggest um, popcorn kernels, but yeah, it's free, so to speak. Exactly. So you're going to use these as decorations. Do you like lasso them, tie them together, and like hang them up, or are you going to maybe have like a decorative pumpkin hay bale display, or or is that <laughs> sure? That's so, the other side. That's Becca's so, wheelhouse. <laughs> okay. And last year we grew up into the squirrels ate almost every single oh, no. year. Oh. This year we only lost, I think, four years to squirrels. So I don't know mm-hmm. if having a dog, bigger dog now scared them away or they found something else to eat. But we have we have one of the kind of the reusable grocery bags full of corn. So we've got lots of decorating to do. <laughs> well, that's really cool. That's really neat. Well, and uh, I, I think it's time to introduce our special guest uh, because I know uh, when it comes to interesting new crops and, and growing new and different things, uh, I love 
listening to local foods educator Grant McCarty. So Grant, welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Well, we are so excited to have you. We're going to talk today about a couple interesting things that you're growing, some of the things that you've seen, and kind of what's going on, because you're up in the northern Illinois area, correct? Where exactly are you located, Grant? Yeah, so I am I'm right on the Wisconsin state line, if you will. I cover Joe Davis, Stevenson, and Winnebago County, so that northwest corridor from Rockford to Galena is basically where I'm at. That's a beautiful part of the state, so one of my favorite places to visit. Um, so, Grant, uh, when it comes to growing conditions this year, I know I've, I've come across the news and email and everything that there are certain portions of northern Illinois that have been declared disaster areas for drought. Tell us a little bit about what you've experienced up in northern Illinois, because really, Ken, Katie, and myself, we are, we're like west central Illinois. So uh, Illinois is a long state and a lot happens uh, from north to south. So could you tell us a little bit about your growing season? Yeah, so I mean, it's been it's been fun. <laughs> I think that that's uh, one of the words that we've unfortunately had to use this season. Um, you know, we we've had drought conditions that have been pretty prevalent from mid June. Really, some of our counties were still declared drought mid August. So even though we were getting some rain and getting some really heavy rainstorms coming through it was still not enough to really address that deficit. And there is still concerns that we're still gonna have drought conditions even into next growing season, uh, depending on how that weather looks. One of the other challenges, especially, especially growers faced our orchards and, and vegetable growers, was that we had a, um, a, a low frost uh, Memorial Day weekend. Friday into yeah. Saturday of Memorial Day weekend, some of our counties measured temperatures for extended periods of time, getting close to 30 and 31 degrees. Um, so depending on where certain crops were in their growth, uh, certainly apples, there were some apple losses, some severe apple losses to the point that some orchards are not opening up. And it also is typically that weekend we're out of the woods. Um, that's when we're stating, plant the tomatoes, get ready to you know, plant uh, your summer crop the next week. Um, my, my stuff was in the ground and I just watched the temperatures <laughs> change. Um, and then June was really dry and really hot. And it's just, uh, it, it's been a mixed bag. So some good news for some growers, some bad news for other growers. Yeah. Did you guys also, were the tornadoes south of you, or did you guys get tornadoes up there as well? We did have some tornadoes touch down. Um, I, I don't think we had too severe, especially kind of in my unit. We really didn't see much of it, uh, but certainly that was one one thing that was, was just an icing on the cake of a <laughs> growing season. So we heard that you recently had an orchard crawl and we're kind of disappointed, Grant, because you didn't invite the good growing <laughs> team. Um, but can you tell us about your orchard crawl and then um, what did you see and learn at this event? Sure, so it is a, uh, an, an impromptu orchard crawl with myself and local foods and small farms educator, Sarah Farley. Um, Sarah covers Lake and McHenry, um, and so she joined us last fall, 
And this is kind of the first kind of season of being able to go out and see what's going on at the orchards. Um, with the counties that Sarah covers, McHenry County, as well as my county of Winnebago County, there's just a dominance of, of orchards in this kind of group. Um, most of them are very agritourism heavy. So it's very much like, okay, my family is going to drive up from the Chicagoland area and we're going to spend an entire day at the orchard and we're going to check off everything. We're going to go into the orchard and pick the apples. We're going to pick our pumpkins. We're going to be in the gift shop and find stuff that we probably don't need. Um, this is just how these places operate. Uh, and so it's very important too, especially with kind of our orchard crawl, was to see the gamut was to be able to look at the ones that have maybe been established for 10 or 15 years and look at their scale all the way up to, you know, some that are just amazing <laughs> to see, some of which are very similar to what's in Southern Illinois more than anything. Just if you think about some of the big ones that we know about, very similar up in our area. Um, and yet, because of the way that things were last summer, they really changed how they were growing and how they were really selling and marketing this type of experience. So our orchard crawl kicked off in the morning at one of our smaller orchards in Boone County. We got a good tour. We were there for three hours because as we know, growers love to talk and they love to show you everything. They love to tell you everything. Um, and so we started off there. And then the rest of our orchard crawl was kind of, uh, you know, secretive drop-ins. It's not, the extension badge is, is covered, it's not shown, just kind of walking around and observing and kind of getting an idea of how things are really going. And that's what I would say is a, is a great piece of an orchard crawl, is to have something a little official, find out what some of the growers are experiencing but also do things undercover. We're not, you know, we're not wearing masks or anything like that as far as like shielding who we are or anything, but we're not necessarily, you know, saying, hey, extension is here. One of the other things that we, we have in our area that um, it's just known for is apple cider donuts. So the orchard crawl does exist in trying some of the donuts. That is a requirement. You just have to just sample and make sure that the donuts are up to the caliber they need to be. And then, of course, it is seeing how the season has been. And for a lot of them, it was kind of hit or miss. There was what we really have encountered is that um, homeowners with backyard orchards have had a great season. I mean, you drive around our counties and the trees are covered in fruit. And as someone who is adamant about pruning and seeing trees falling over. In fact, a neighbor a couple houses down has a tree that in the middle of the night, I'm gonna to have to prune because it's driving me nuts how, how it's not been thinned. Um, but they, the homeowners have had wonderful apple season, whereas the commercial growers, just I think based on certain situations, the fruit load has been a little uneven. So I think, especially even honey crisps, we're expecting some low yields. And that's really based on when it actually is kind of fruiting and flowering in the spring that really impacted that. Um, some of the other traditional apples that we fully expect seem to be okay. So, you know, it's still one of those things where the message right now is there is still some unevenness to it that may be compensated by sales of apple cider donuts. Um, you know, that might be where we make up for it this season. Uh, Grant, I'll just echo just that very interesting 
tree fruit year here in our neck of the woods. I know you don't have many peach growers in your neck of the woods, actually. I, if, if you did have peach growers, they'd have to sell a lot of apple cider donuts uh, to make up for all the lost peaches. Um, but we had an amazing peach crop this year in, in central Illinois. Apples are through the roof here. It's, um, it, it's, it's pretty wild. Uh, and we had that similar late freeze event. And yet it's, it's like something happened and it was just the perfect uh, season for some of our tree fruit this year. Yeah, I mean, that that's what I've noticed. And, you know, we didn't have as much disease pressure either. Um, you know, we had a little bit of fire blight come into the extension office with pears. Um, but as far as some of the other ones, we didn't see a lot. And speaking to some of our growers, even their spray schedules were very short. Um, you know, they were still kind of expecting to, you know, follow that spray schedule. And yet when they were doing disease scouting, it was just really low pressure. Um, so... And since I have three people here that are involved in planning, especially Crops Conference, uh, apple cider donut uh, competition. Hello, no, Ken, you you do the cider contest. The cider contest. I'll have, to, I'll have to see what they think about that. All right, hey, <laughs> sign me up as a judge. I'll do it. All right. <laughs> Let me just put that out there right now. I'll get you for cider if nothing else. <laughs> you got me there still. Yep. All right, so another thing um, I guess you've been doing or, or tinkering with is strawberries. So growing uh, day-neutral strawberries. So those are the type of strawberries that people would typically grow um, in their gardens, or is that kind of something different that, that are kind of a normal homeowner would normally see? It, it kind of depends. You know, I think that we occasionally will see the labeling of everbearing. And so individuals might be picking up an everbearing strawberry uh, and planting. For the most part, what we really see is June bearing. So very similar to what would be occurring in other parts of the state. Um, one of the reasons that I wanted to kind of do a little more, okay, my, use my backyard as an experiment, like you do can, like all of us really do, um, was that day neutrals, there's been a lot of research from Minnesota and kind of other Midwestern growing um, universities to focus on day neutrals as an annual. So it is that, you know, if you're growing the strawberries, you planted them in the spring, you're removing all the runners throughout that season. And then it should be yielding realistically end of July, all the way to the end of October. And then you take them all right out. So it is into that kind of annual vegetable rotation. And there's been such good research coming out of Minnesota and in both kind of field grown day neutrals, high tunnel systems, even kind of those tabletop systems that you see, um, that I wanted to research it and kind of think a bit more about it because we have a very dominant June bearing strawberry industry up here. Um, some of the biggest ones in the state are up here and they're all dependent on UPIC operations. And the problem is that they start yielding the end of June. And what we have seen is that it's way too hot, it's very rainy. And if you're depending on people to come out to the farm to pick strawberries, they're not gonna come out during that time. So in that regard, you know, my thought here is that day neutrals could shift production over or complement it to be able to kind of get to some of the demands that we really see in strawberry production, which is really what we see. Um, sometimes with the other states. And it's just a weird area. In this Northern Illinois, McHenry Lake, 
Boone, Winnebago, all of them, um, they can use information from Southern Illinois. So the research that Bronwyn is doing and others is doing works great, works really well. They can use information from Minnesota that works great, that works really well, but we're still in a weird area and we're piecing together parts of it to see what makes the most sense. And that dominant you pick Chicago market is the major factor we have to think about. Um, and so with that, you know, my experience with day neutrals, which are tech, almost really California varieties, if you will, California, Florida varieties, is that, you know, planting them in the spring and then they were not irrigated, but they started yielding mid-August. That was kind of their main time. So right now I'm kind of going out and getting like a handful of strawberries every single day from about 30 plants. And they're producing, they're, they're producing, but you know, it, it's one of those things of, is this going to fit where these growers need by offering strawberries in September <laughs> and in October? I don't know. You know, I think that that's the main thing. And we have pursued a specialty crop block grant. We are trying to think about what outreach and education can look like on these day neutrals to see if farmers could utilize it to complement. I think that there are a lot of benefits in this system. I think that by having an annual strawberry, I think that that's great. You're not having to address that whole year of June bearing for establishment. At the same time, labor is gonna be a question and we have to really think about that labor issue there too. So it's a long answer, but you can kind of tell I'm kind of like, ah, oh, let's see if this will work because you just look at it and think this should work. And yet based on 10 feet from where I'm sitting right now, I'm still not sure. <laughs> and is it the June bearing, uh, the day neutral, this is, are they comparable? Uh, have you done any like, differences in the yield i'm thinking more flavor myself but yeah uh, yeah how, how are they yield comparing should be pretty comparable and i think that gets back to kind of the dueling budget like when you actually would break down what that budget would be the size is, is a little bit smaller than i would like it to be and i think this is the albion that i'm growing which has been evaluated from minnesota to be a really good flavorful one and so that then would factor in like well, if you're a strawberry grower of day neutrals in another part of the state or June bearing, where you just have, they're going into a value-added product or going somewhere different, then size may not be much of an impact. But if it's a U-pick system where they're trying to get the biggest berry, that could be kind of the major concern. And that's at least what I'm noticing right now is that flavor, I find is pretty similar. The size is the question right now. So you're just trying the one variety or do you have multiple you're trying? I've got Seascape and I've got Albion. And those were the two that were endorsed from Minnesota. Um, so I wanted to see how both of them look. And, and realistically, I find that both of them are, are pretty similar. And, you know, the main labor each week is, you know, I'm, I'm having to hand irrigate. I don't have a drip line set up. So realistically, if you were field grown, you would drip irrigate. Um, and then it's runner removal, removal of all the runners because we are, we're wanting them to stay really compact. We're not wanting the energy to go different locations to create a matted system. So it is kind of kind of going through every couple of days and removing them, um, removing those runners. Are you, are you cutting those by hand or are you like running a tiller down the middle or? 
I'm cutting them by hand, just with some clippers. Um, I, I don't find that they all reveal at the same time, which would be great, right? If they just all spread out and just go straight through. Um, so at this stage, it's just a lot of like hand removal. Um, and I think that that's what I find to be kind of the biggest labor issue at this point is going to be the runner management. And, and then Grant, there is another kind of new crop uh, that you're looking at here, and that is growing table and wine grapes. Now, I'm confused about the difference between these two types because, uh, well, I, I mean, I guess it's pretty obvious, right? You drink one and you eat the other. So, but could maybe maybe help me out and explain just the difference between the two and um, and kind of why are you looking into these? So you're exactly right. I mean, it, it is that, okay, if I'm going through a Stark Brothers catalog or any other company to order fruit, you're going to find little designations to say, this is table grape, this is wine grape. And the idea with table grape, of course, is that I'm going to be eating these fresh. Um, I might be able to get away with making them into jams, jellies, or, or juice even, but they're not going to have that maybe sugar content that I really need if I'm going to be making them into wine grapes. You know, wine grapes being something that it's going to be really designed for use of, of wine. It's also going to be designed for different types of wine. I mean, that's something you have to even factor more into, which, you know, as me and my family, I was just like, ah, we got space, let's put out some grapes. And then it's like, well, I chose this wine white grape so I can only make more Bordeaux. I don't know. I don't know my wines. Who knows if that was a white wine or not, but that's, that's what I'm stuck with, right? Compared to maybe hops or some of those other things where you could utilize the cones in different ways to make different beers or, or fruits. Um, wine grapes are a little narrow and they're more narrow. The way that I tend to approach my, my backyard garden too is I'm always thinking of, um, we live in Northern Illinois. <laughs> like that's, that's where I live. Like, I want to try Wisconsin varieties, Minnesota varieties to see how these really perform so that then if we have individuals approaching our extension office asking about these different things, we can be able to adequately talk about some of these varieties, especially as so many of our neighbors are still doing robust varietal trials. It's really important for us to be able to think about that with some of the ones in our backyard to be able to then say like, well, you know, this is what we would recommend for you based on what our neighbors are saying and based on what they see. So the ones that I've been chosen are all coming from Wisconsin breeding programs. This is St. Teresa, this is uh, Edelweiss. Um, it's all kind of, I forget the guy's name. His first name is Elmer. You don't forget a name like Elmer, I don't feel like. But he is a, uh, he's done a lot of the great variety breeding for the upper Midwest. And there's a wonderful guide from Iowa State of all places that uh, is really kind of a detailed approach to all the different grape varieties out there that are really great for the Midwest. And so that was kind of my, my Bible to start off with as I decided to think about what grapes we wanted to grow. Um, so we'll see, you know, they were planted in the spring. As we know with grapes, it's just so much growth. Um, and this year, I, you know, the, it's going to take three years for them to get into kind of a good place as far as we think of like a good kind of cordon system and a trellis system. So this year it's taking flimsy tomato cages and just sticking them on, <laughs> on top of them. Uh, and it works a little better in some ways because they're very concentrated with their growth. 
And the Japanese beetles love them. And I can put a row cover around this tomato cage. So as much as it looks goofy, it's serving a purpose. But certainly into the wintertime, I'm going to have to now think about the trunk structure. I'm going to have to think about my trellis system, which is probably just going to be kind of a single trellis across it, kind of a uh, spur, spur yielding is what I'm thinking of at this point. Um, but grapes were something that I think a lot of us think about in extension where we think about like, all right, what have I not covered as an extension educator? What's left? And it was grapes. I did a grape course uh, webinar in January and was just like, well, I'm done with extension. I guess I can retire. We've covered grapes is how I felt. Uh, You've done it all here. now, Cream. Yeah. yeah, I've done it all. I still got 20 years to go, but you know. <laughs> now what are we going to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just twiddling my thumbs for 20 more years. So There you go. I For the first time, I mean, in my life, I had fresh grape juice. Uh, mm -hmm. I visited a local grower in Galesburg, and she has some Concords, and she just juices them. She doesn't add sugar or anything, and it was delicious. I I loved it. It, was, it made me want to have my own grapes. I'm curious though, for something like maybe more like a table grape or, you know, for juice, uh, you mentioned Japanese beetles, uh, pests can be a big issue with grapes are pests. Do you have, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, do we have to be more vigilant with pesticides and, uh, making sure we're spraying timely enough for table grapes versus wine grapes, which are just going to go ferment. Does it matter if there's you know, maggots in those grapes or not, because it still makes wine, right? So uh, it is a pet is like timely applications a concern for a backyard grower? Yeah, I would, I would still approach it as that, you know, when okay. we have provided grape education, it, it's been focusing on pest issues and so forth. And it is fortunate that some of these varieties do have some disease resistance, as well as some of these varieties that are heavy disease susceptibility. So it is that as a backyard grower, just as you say with fruit trees and others, it's to be very mindful of, of trying to, to have that. Um, I think it also can be based on how you design a grape system too. You know, so many people want that beautiful grape arbor and just mm -hmm. cascades of grapes coming down. It's like, I don't see <laughs> how that yeah. works. If you're, they're covered in Japanese beetles or they're covered in you know, aphids and all that wonderful disease pressure moving through. I'm just, I'm a productionist at heart. So like, I'm not thinking of like, oh, let's have a beautiful arbor. Let's, I want like a strict line. I want it controlled. I want to be able to spray when I need to spray. So it also sounds like you are working with blackberries as well. Um, and you had mentioned you're planting fall blackberries to avoid uh, our cooled spring or our cold spring soils. Um, what's the issue that we're facing with cold spring soils? And do you think that this could work for some other perennial crops? That's, that's the idea, Katie. I, I mean, I think what I have at least encountered in some of my perennial plantings is that the soil temperatures in Northern Illinois are still just not where they need to be. And then the product itself, or, or rather the, the plant is coming, and we've got a really short window to get it in and the soils are just not warm enough for establishment. Um, so, you know, there's been some research done, not as much as, as there has been previously, 
um, that maybe a fall planting might be better just because of some of these, you know, something like our cane fruit. Um, we still have warm tip soil temperatures. They're getting established. They've got months to get established to then enter that dormancy period. And some of this is also kind of what I've anecdotally noted. I've had losses with raspberry plants that have been spring planted and planted successfully. I've had really slow growth of many root crops uh, early, um, right when the calendar, the planting dates tell me to plant them. Um, and so I just wanted to you know, see if this might be a direction to go. I think the challenge is that if, if we do find that perhaps this is a great way to go, we don't always find the variety of perennial crops in the fall. That's the main problem, I think. You know, if it is that, oh, we're so, the, the companies we'd be purchasing from are, just don't have these. So it is that I can't put out the, an orchard in the fall because they're not available. And we would still probably not suggest that either just because it's gonna be better in, in the summertime. But for some of those that are just, you know, something like blackberries with, in this case, primocane producing ones, my idea here is this might be a route to go perhaps. Have you all seen any of that in your region kind of a shift to fall planting than the spring? I'm not aware of anything. Doesn't mean it's not happening, but. <clears throat> yeah. I definitely, oh no, sorry. I was just gonna say, I've definitely seen some shifts in different cultural practices, I think from what was conventional. Um, it seems like we're very much in a spring planting mindset. We see the corn and beans getting planted then and we think, hey, it's time to plant whatever. But uh, yeah, I think I'm seeing a shift in different practices. It, it feels like we're, we're paying more attention horticulturally speaking to these different needs of these crops. So um, not necessarily anything directly to report on though, but I think things are changing. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's kind of, at least my, my thought there is, you know, to be kind of a little more mindful of it, but at the same time, it's like, if you're trying to find some of these right now, it's, it's going to be very difficult and it's a very tight window too. I think that's the other challenge we run into. Realistically, the first frost in our area is coming um, mid-October. It's not here yet, but we're a month away. Uh, we have seen warmer Novembers. We have encountered even some warmer Decembers where we haven't had as much snow on the ground. Um, but we still have to be kind of mindful of one off, <laughs> off year doesn't mean every year is off. Right, right. Like the December a few years ago when the garlic was about yay high, it was like, <laughs> oh no, this is not good. So Grant, that was a lot of great information. I always love talking to you because it makes me want to go, I, now I have to go figure out day neutral strawberries. I got to find a <laughs> spot for grapes in the backyard here. So um, Grant, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. More than happy to be here with you all. Well, the Good Growing Podcast is produced by Wendy Ferguson, edited by me, Chris Enroth. A big thanks goes to Katie Parker, Ken Johnson, for being with us every single week. Thank you, Katie and Ken. Yeah, thank you, Grant, for joining us. You provided us with a lot of uh, cool new crops that we can try out or some different planting techniques. And Ken and Chris, it's always a pleasure to see you guys. Yes, thank you, Grant. I got some more things to add to my list of <laughs> things to put in the garden. And Chris and Katie, as always, thanks. Let's do this again next week.
Oh, we shall do this again next week. If it doesn't rain soon, folks, it's going to be all about drought watering our plants. So listeners, thank you for doing what you do best. And that is listening or if you're watching us on YouTube, watching. And as always, keep on growing.